Do you think it's safe to ask them? Hear me. All you hosts gathered here. <laughs> Kill everyone now. Condone first-degree murder. Advocate cannibalism. Eat shit. Well, I think we're about ready. Quiet, everyone. Filth are my politics. Filth is my life. From the whispers of the damned, deep within the bowels of hell, welcome to Astro Radio Z. Welcome, Astro Zombies, to a new episode of Astro Radio Z, and yours truly couldn't have found two more completely opposite movies to cover on this episode if I tried. Today, we're going to be talking about the military espionage thriller made for TV by William Friedkin, Python Wolf, originally titled Cat Squad 2, Python Wolf, and the complete softcore TNA quote-unquote comedy, Silken Sabotage. So, hey, get ready. We're going to be talking about Steve James, Explosions, and Titties. Stick around. Astro Radio Z. They are the enemy, cunning, ruthless. They're playing for keeps, and only one group can stop them. The director of The French Connection and Joe Cortese star of Something Is Out There bring you the action thriller of the year. I'm trying to nail a guy who's dealing weapons to South Africa. In a dog-eat-dog world, you've got to be one bad cat. Friend, I want you to run! Cat Squad 2, Monday. As I always do here on Astro Radio Z with these VHS episodes, I purely choose what movies we're going to be covering here based on the covers alone. So when I was going through the collection and was doing the eeny, meeny, miny, mo that I usually do here <laughs> in order to find out what we're going to watch next, I, I I think, you know, when I see the spine of this tape that we're talking about today, Python Wolf, that name alone was just like, that's fucking ridiculous. That's a fucking ridiculous name. And then you pull the tape out and the cover shows. And those of you that follow my Instagram, the Astro Radio Z Instagram, uh, can see because I always post the covers of the tapes on that uh, feed. The cover shows like it's <laughs> it's a bunch of people in with guns and military gear silhouetted to fire. So how the fuck am I not going to choose a movie called Python Wolf with a bunch of fire and silhouetted army dudes on the front? <laughs> you knew I was going to choose this goddamn tape the moment I saw it. And on the top, it says a William Friedkin movie. You know, I had to step back for a second and think to myself, like, is that for real? I had to look up his IMDb and sure as shit. Other than the, the very famous movies that we are all aware of that William Freakin has pumped out, he pumped out a few TV movies. And when I went to go look this movie up on the Internet, it actually didn't come up like usually when I sit and do the editorial of these episodes, you know, I try to find trailers for you guys to listen to before we go into it to get a flavor for what this movie is. We're about to talk about because sometimes those trailers actually do a little bit of the work for me it actually like summarizes the movie we're about to talk about in a way that's a little more concise than what i put out there because sometimes i'm a little bit rambly it's just my the way my brain works you know not everything always connects not everything fires the way i want it to because i don't script this show out 
I take notes, but I don't script this thing out. This is literally me just stream of consciousness rambling, like just talking to you as we had described, like on the first or second episode that we've come back with these VHS episodes. This isn't a a podcast about me being an expert on fucking anything. This is us just having a conversation about a couple fucking VHS tapes that I pulled out and decided to watch. So having said that, to find out that William Friedkin had made a few, you know, made for TV movies back in the 80s was a little bit of a surprise to me. And I was very interested to see what this movie would be. Uh, I initially seeing the cover, I thought this was just going to be some trashy, low rent exploitation action movie. And then upon seeing his name, you know, slapped across the cover of this thing, I'm like, oh, is are we going to watch a classy ass movie here? Is that is that what we have? Is this not an Astro Radio Z movie? Um, but uh, immediately turning this thing on, you find out that the connection to Astro Radio Z is very apparent and very quickly. Do you feel at home? Because none other than our American ninja brother, Steve James shows up as one of the main lead actors in this movie. And I couldn't have my heart like the Grinch grew four sizes the day I turned this tape on. And let me tell you, God damn it. I'm so happy I picked this movie, not because I think it's an amazing movie, but anytime I see Steve James, that movie is instantly worth watching. Steve James is just one of my favorite fucking actors, the guy. And it's such a shame that he's no longer with us, because every time I see him in a movie, kind of like when we had talked about Richard Roundtree on the Night Visitor episode, I just feel his presence is fucking awesome. Other than the fact, you know, he's fucking yoked beyond belief. You wouldn't believe that anybody could kick his ass, but that let's not get ahead of ourselves here on this episode, because, boy, does Steve James get tossed around in this movie a lot. But anyways, Python Wolf, which I had kind of described in the, you know, the preliminary uh, preamble for this episode was a made for TV military espionage movie. It's twisty. It's turny. It's extremely plot heavy. And uh, has a a good stable of actors attached to it. This didn't look like some cheapo made for TV movie for the most part. This actually felt like a movie that if the shackles of it having to be a made for TV movie, because this was produced by NBC, if those shackles were taken off of it and it was allowed to be what it needed to be, this could have been a really, really good movie. As is, and we'll get to it when we break it down, the good, the bad, and the what the fucks of this movie, it unfortunately is constrained on the post end by decisions because it's a TV movie. We'll get to why I say that when we get to the bad section of this, but Python Wolf, as it is, And I'd be interested to see if there was an actual longer cut of this movie, a full cut of this movie. I doubt, you know, this is one of those instances where I'm sure. And this was really prevalent back in the day of actual film. 
that there is any other cut because when they made edits and we found this out through, you know, the various edits of the Friday, the 13th movies that when things are cut were cut out back in the day when you were cutting from film, uh, those various elements were just thrown away. Studios didn't care, didn't think about, you know, behind the scenes stuff or uh, extended editions or, you know, director's cuts or not like, special features on DVDs. That wasn't a thing in 1988 when, you know, Python Wolf was made. Those extra sequences are thrown in the fucking trash because this would just play on TV a few times and then it would be forgotten. Uh, luckily for us. They decided to put this thing out. Vidmark Entertainment put this thing out on VHS. Unfortunately, it feels like a truncated made-for-TV movie, and that's a bummer because Python Wolf, once it finally got going, was a completely enjoyable action movie. I, I, I thought it was fine. Just very unfortunate that the edit we see here on this tape just feels so rushed. So rushed. But anyways, let's get to what is Python Wolf? Uh, as we do here on uh, these VHS episodes, I'm going to read the back of the box to you and we'll uh, we'll get <laughs> the, the proper synopsis as you know what we do here, where what I'm trying to provide you is that experience of walking into the video store and picking up a tape and then having to read the back of the box and determine whether or not you want to fucking watch this gimmick. So Python Wolf, the back of the box gives us, uh, there's a poll quote from the Chicago Tribune, a crisp classic spy thriller. And on the front, we have from Newsday, a masterpiece. And every single fucking letter in that <laughs> has a period in it. An M period, A period, S period, T period. You get the fucking point. The New York Times syndicate says Friedkin proves once again he is the master of visual effects. Uh, we'll we'll uh, refute that a little bit when we get into our bad section here. But <laughs> and then the last poll quote we have on the box is USA Today. Action ripped from the headlines in and a terse style that's unnervingly realistic. I will disagree with that as well, because the editorial of this movie is its ultimate downfall. But oh, my God, I am getting ahead of myself yet again. Here is the the, the actual synopsis read to you from the back of the box here of Python Wolf. Academy Award winning director of The French Connection, The Exorcist. And to live and die in L.A., William Friedkin masterminds another action suspense classic with Python Wolf. A secret army of ultra right wing South Africans maneuver to steal plutonium for a nuclear weapon. The job of the elite and highly secret counterattack group is to stop them cleanly, quietly and without international incident. Murderous arms dealers and Air Force hotshots willing to sacrifice anyone for their own agenda deal a treacherously deadly hand. Passion, grief and revenge collide with bureaucratic callousness and the group must lay all nine lives on the line just to break even in this high-tech, high-powered adventure. Now, what they're referring to there is the nine people that must lay their lives on the line is the Cat Squad. And because this is movie is a sequel to a movie called Cat Squad, 
there is a, a a lot of things about the, the front end of Python Wolf that just don't work because you do not have that prior experience with these characters. You're thrown into scenarios where you're supposed to care about them, but it is so rushed and so thrown together that it, it's hard to give a fuck about a single one of them. But our initial group of characters that are the cat squad that we're supposed to give a fuck about is Jack Youngblood as John Summers, Joe Cortese as Burkholder, Steve James as Bud Rains, and Deborah Van Valkenburg as Nikki Pappas. These four people comprise our cat squad, our paramilitary espionage group, you know, this covert squad that goes in and handles the military's dirty work. We are thrown into a, a plutonium heist <laughs> fucking <laughs> mission off the bat. And let me tell you, man, Steve James just gets fucking handled this entire fucking sequence. But as I said before, the you you get thrown into this sequence right off the bat. And it's very disorienting because the editorial of this movie feels like William Friedkin had given NBC uh, Studios, an actual movie. And that movie, I bet you, was well over two hours long. I bet you this movie initially, uh, we the version we see right now is an hour and 38 minutes. And I'm sure they had a strict deadline because of, you know, blocks on TV can't go for. Remember back in the day for TV movies, you can't go beyond two hours on a block of TV and those 20 minutes, the 22 minutes past the hour and 38 minutes, the runtime of this movie were all commercials. So I'm sure they saw this movie and I, I bet you that movie was far better than what we see. And they're like, man, we gotta, we gotta tidy this up. We gotta really cut this thing down and boy, does it show. It really shows there's, there are really no establisher, shots for any environment there's no breathing or emotional resonance given to characters it is literally pop 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 between every single scene every interaction everything in this movie unfortunately because of this just doesn't breathe and doesn't give our characters and the situations the the space to make any of it matter it is just like these things happen and we're there to see them happen. We're not there to feel them happen, even though there are sequences where supposedly emotional things are happening. But because they're really cut to such a bare minimum, you don't give a fuck about any of the consequences of any of the things that go on. And it just unfortunately renders this movie kind of uh, impotent when it comes to the grander scheme of like, is this a great movie? I believe somewhere in Cat Squad to Python Wolf, at some point there was a really good movie here that it's unfortunate that it was produced for TV because I bet you, man, this could have been a real good one. As is, uh, can I recommend, because this is obviously like the general thoughts section of this review, is that can I really sit and recommend Python Wolf for you guys to seek out? 
as is, I have a feeling a lot of you would be very bored and disconnected through about half of this movie. Unless you're like a huge military espionage thriller fan. I really don't see a lot of you getting into this. Yeah, we have Steve James and we also have and I even thrown this out there. Miguel Ferrer is in this movie. Very truncated role. I bet you he had a bigger role in the in the <laughs> the original cut. I'm, I keep saying this because it's obvious this movie had a longer cut. When you watch how things play out in this movie, it, there's no way that William Friedkin, the same guy that made Sorcerer, the same guy that made fucking The French Connection and The Exorcist and so many other really meticulously made and patient films made something so fucking forced poppy without any breathing room as what we see here in Python Wolf, that it's obvious this is a cut down. So obvious. And it's a, it's a damn shame. So I, I mean, if you see a copy of this, I think it's on YouTube. I think you can watch Python Wolf on YouTube. It's not a waste of time because I would say about halfway through it, I actually started getting into it. Um, there was when the, the plot itself finally starts to become revealed. And maybe it was just because of my own penchant for needing a little breathing space when it comes to these plot heavy movies that you need to allow the viewer to catch up with the twists, the turns. and Or at least for me, I need to be given space to sit in an environment and, uh, you know, really soak in the characters because there is a lot going on in this movie. It took me halfway through the movie when it started becoming clear what the overall plot was of this thing, where I finally started getting into it. And I don't think a lot of you out there, and this is not to speak down to you at all. I just don't think general viewing audiences right now have the patience for something like that. So I would only really recommend this to those of you out there really into this kind of stuff, or you are like a William Friedkin slash Steve James completist, then watch it. My boy fucking uh, Daniel Edenfield might jump all over this just for the Steve James connection. And those of you out there, I bet you my friend Vaughn would be into this as well. William Friedkin, you want to see all his gimmicks because he's a good fucking director. Other than that, I bet you the vast majority of you would check out of this thing. And it's unfortunate because it's not a bad movie. So let's get into the goods, the bads and the what the fucks. Uh, as I had said before, uh, this thing has some really solid actors. Steve James plays this <laughs> trumpet playing secret agent. And you don't find out that he's like a jazz musician until almost halfway through the movie in, in some really strange noirish <laughs> sequence. Like I told you before, the editorial is so fucking haphazard because they had to cut this thing down that you don't get character moments until like halfway through the movie where all of a sudden they start building these characters which I, I wonder if maybe Cat Squad 1 had done. So you already knew he was this trumpet player. But by the time we get to it and we find out Steve James is a jazz musician on the side of being a secret agent. <laughs> it comes as like a fucking slap in the face. You're like, what the fuck is this? 
<laughs> it comes out of nowhere. But you have Steve James and Miguel Ferrer as uh, Miguel Ferrer plays a, a slimy, uh, crooked dude that's that's playing the government. And uh, as always, he's wonderful. For the most part, the acting in this movie is solid. And thankfully, I, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with because there's a lot of TV actors in this movie and a lot of people I'd never seen before. I have a feeling William Friedkin is a director, you know, coaxed a fairly decent performance out of them. So the acting is good. The The music is by Ennio Morricone. <laughs> Can you fucking believe a TV movie has Ennio Morricone? Which when you listen to it, if you didn't know that, didn't see his name pop up on the opening credit crawl or you didn't hear me say that that was the case. You would have never known because it felt like a fairly stock, you know, electronic TV score every once in a while. though, I mean, that's not to diminish the fact that it's decent for what it is, but it's just strange that he would be the one that had done this. And I'm sure, you know, the William Friedkin connection helped that or just a nice check helped that out. So there's a, a few things already that's got notches in its belt that that elevate this up. The movie itself, if we're talking about good points, looks fucking great. And even though I've been complaining about the editorial, there's times that I appreciate how punchy the edit is. Because sometimes with these espionage thrillers, uh, I want to get to the point with some of these things because, you know, I'm not big into military movies in general. It has to be goofy a goofy style military movie for me to get into it. So like movies, and I know you guys are going to get on my case, but movies like Top Gun and like I, I tried watching fucking Maverick. It just fucking did jack shit for me. Like, I don't give a fuck about any of this shit. Movies like that just don't resonate with me. I don't care. I don't. I don't go to war movies like I didn't see Dunkirk. I didn't see 1917. I, I I don't toss on Saving Private Ryan for no reason. I don't watch. I don't watch stuff like that. I don't care. I don't want to watch war. It's depressing and it's fucking dumb. So I just want nothing to do with it. I, if I'm going to watch shit like that, I want it to be goofy and stupid because it is stupid. Fucking war is stupid. And uh, this movie, I appreciated that some of the military stuff was just fucking truncated down. Like most of the most of this movie, I, I could have used a longer cut with the characters, but all the military stuff is is punchy in a way that I appreciated as someone that just isn't really into this stuff at all. The beginning of this movie, uh, the title sequence, where it starts off almost like a TV show with a great rotoscope cutout title sequence with a montage behind the cutout title. And I love that kind of shit. It set itself up like one of those eight those like 70s and 80s, you know, uh, cop shows. And I fucking dug it. <laughs> I was I was in right the fuck away. There's a lot of stylish color choices that are going on with lighting and the camera moves are it's, it's the camera's always moving it's never just boom 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 you know back and forth medium close-up shots between people talking the entire time 
This thing is all over the place and looks like a damn ass movie. This doesn't look like some fucking shitty made for TV thing. This looks like it could have been a legit movie. And I really fucking appreciated that. Now, to go any further into my goods, I'm going to have to put cue the boarding house spoiler music. This is a warning. Thank you. Not that you guys really give a fuck. But because I have a feeling the vast majority of you aren't going to go seek out Python Wolf, but maybe you are. So I just want to put this out there that there's going to be some spoilers here for and I usually don't like doing spoilers for these reviews. But about halfway through this movie, there's a double cross and Miguel Ferrer kills the, the female secret agent Nikki out of fucking nowhere. And I was I was floored by this double cross. I didn't see it coming. I didn't think there was anything really at stake for the vast majority of the characters in this movie I, because it's a TV movie. I kind of figured, you know, they were going to get through this thing unscathed to live and breathe another day. You know, there got to be for it, which is inherent in TV serials. The characters need to live on so you can create more content, right? Fuck no, not here. <laughs> Nikki gets fucking knifed. In a fucking park by Miguel Ferrer. And I was floored. I was goddamn floored by this. And then later, Brooke Holder, who was our main lead in this movie, he is in a bar crying into his drink with Steve James, who's in the background playing trumpet for no reason. And it's so noirish and so stylish the way they did this. And he is just fucking falling apart over Nikki, his which I didn't quite real uh, know that maybe there was some unrequited love there or like a, a crush or something. It's never indicated because Nikki at one point earlier in the movie gets married to the fourth member of cat squad who gets, you know, taken hostage at some South African <laughs> internment camp. I'm not even going to sit and go into like <laughs> the nitty gritty of the plot of this thing. It's stupid and it's all over the place. It, it, it's twisty and turny and it points didn't make sense. So I'm just going to give you the, you know, the main things that I took away from it. She got married to this, this uh, air force guy who gets shot down over fucking uh south africa and brookholder has no idea that this happens and he's screaming and yelling about how people someone's gonna pay for nikki getting knifed and whatnot and steve james is trying to hold him and, and he's just throwing steve james all it's fucking hilarious this whole sequence is so over the top it's so fucking hilarious but it's so stylishly done that it looks like it's some noir movie with really saturated blues and reds. And this keeps happening in the movie. I fucking loved it. I all the ridiculousness of all these machismo assholes, you know, having to constantly prove themselves to everybody it, with this lighting in the style. Man, I was in. I was all the way in later. Cue boarding house spoiler music. This is a warning. Thank you. Brookholder gets shot while they're in the middle of trying to, you know, thwart another scheme. And he falls back screaming in slow motion multiple times across fades a couple times. And you, you hear the scream reverberate out. It's so fucking good. 
Jesus Christ in the midst of this ultra serious movie that that made me laugh so fucking hard. Holy shit, was it unexpected? And then he gets wheeled into the fucking hospital in the emergency room unceremoniously because this movie has no breathing space. It just cuts between things. And you hear him get wheeled into a fucking, I'm guessing, a surgery room with Steve James. And you hear Burkholder moaning as if he's getting the greatest mouthy he's ever gotten in his entire life. It's all so fucking funny unintentionally that man it made me continue on with this movie (laughs) and then to, to round out the goods the main bad guy's death and there is a main bad guy even though he's barely in this movie he's like the the leader of the internment camp his death comes out of fucking nowhere and is so glorious he gets like steam shot into his face at some nuclear reactor site and then he falls into like some electrical charge unit and and just explodes it's fucking awesome (laughs) it's so fucking good so the bads of this movie um there are a few cheapy you know digital special effects with some of the screens that go on because there's you know because this is military of course there's computers high-tech computers and surveillance systems and things of that nature and the screens the budget obviously shows and post when they were supposed to put this stuff in there it looks cheap even on vhs it looks way out of place and doesn't look good As I had said before, the main downfall of this movie is the editorial, is the fact that this was intended to be a TV movie. The constraints of having to fit that hour and 40 minute time restriction really makes the edit of this movie just kind of insufferable at times. And it just it it feels jumpy. There's no time for mood. There's no breathing. There's literally no transitional space between scenes. And at times there's VO that's going on that continues over a scene where it's inappropriate. Um, It just there's stuff. It just doesn't line up and it's confusing. And it's too bad because this movie deserved more than that, because this movie is also a part two There feels like there's a lot of character development that's not here. The situation just starts and it rolls. As I had said before, there are moments like the two getting married that I had talked about that carry no emotional weight because we don't care. We don't know these characters, but they're played like we're supposed to. The edit doesn't help these sequence because no space is given for introspection or emotional character moments. Some scenes don't set up the players at all. And the biggest, like most egregious player in this scenario is the final battle scene in this nuclear reactor where we cut from one sequence to all of a sudden this sequence where people are piling out of like vehicles to try and and fight each other. And we don't even realize our main players are part of these of this scene at all, because it's just a bunch of people in masks in outfits fighting and then once our bad guy dies all of a sudden we see brookholder standing there and we never knew he was in this scene at all so you know part two 
of this with with the character development and the editorial really just kind of like renders this movie an absolute fucking mess. There's also a sequence, like I had told you before, where our military guys get, you know, stranded in South Africa and they eject themselves out of their plane that's crashing because they get shot with some like random laser that fucks up all of their instruments in this plane, this spy plane that looks like a stealth plane. The ejection sequence is so clunky and edited so poorly. (laughs) But it's it's pretty fucking bad. Uh, it takes about 40 minutes to get into the actual story of this in the large plot that it just doesn't gel until about an hour in of this movie. Miguel Ferreira, where, you know, I had said one of the goods is that he's in this movie is he's always fucking great in everything he's in. And unfortunately, he's not in it much. And he is killed in a sequence in which. You don't hear a gunshot. You should have seen this happen, and I'm sure it was truncated down because it's a TV movie and they didn't want any violence on screen, but he's killed off screen. Way fucking bummer. And then the final, you know, bad that I have in this movie is that at one point, Steve James is interrogating a bad guy and the bad guy calls him a hard end. So you got that for a TV movie. They weren't okay with showing Miguel Ferrer get shot, but they were okay with show having Steve James get called a hard end. Let that one soak in, folks. 1988. The what the fucks I have for Python Wolf to round this out is uh, Steve James at one point walks into a bar to talk to two guys and this might seem like a very small what the fuck but for me as an editor and as a filmmaker when i see this kind of stuff i kind of question like what was the motivation here and why uh what is this scene in this shot telling me about the situation that's going on you see steve james walk into a bar and then we get a shaky pov shot from his perspective walking to these two guys at this table in the bar And then it cuts to a regular shot and it's just like so off putting and weird. Why would you choose to have a POV shot there? It made no sense. In my last what the fuck is there is a sequence where the cat squad infiltrates this place in uh, the U.S. government in order to find out what has happened to Nikki's uh, husband. The, the guy that got stranded over South America and they find a bunch of shredded papers and they stuff them into a duffel bag and bring them back to the cat squad's headquarters and then scan them. Like, just take these big piles of fucking shredded paper, put them on top of a scanner, don't even really lay them out in any way and scan them. And somehow in the random caggle fuck mess of these papers, the computer is able to interpret and put together these papers again. And it's just like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> no way. <laughs> it is so cockamamie and so stupid. And you're like, no way. This would take fucking forever for you to lay these things out in a way the computer could reinterpret and put these files back together. Get out of here. <laughs> and that's all I got for fucking Python Wolf. It is is just a movie that unfortunately is disappointing 
just because it was a TV movie and you can tell the constraints and I, I don't want to keep going on the same thing I've said before. So uh, for, for those of you out there, I'll say this as a general thought at the end here, for those of you out there into Steve James and to William Friedkin into Miguel Ferrer, there's, there's things about this movie that are worth watching and seeking out. The majority of you might not get into this so much. So it's, it's a mild recommend. I enjoyed my time with it and I'm glad I watched it, but honestly, it's, it's a bit of a disappointment. So, uh, that's it for Python Wolf coming up next. Turn down the lights, get a nice beverage, turn on that saxophone music and get ready for nonstop titties in silk and sabotage. You are listening to Astro Radio Z. Computer games bring three beautiful co-eds and one greedy con man face-to-face for a showdown in the real world. Silk and Sabotage, next on Cinemax. It's really been a long time since we've sat and discussed some pure sleaze here on Astro Radio Z. Long-time listeners know that back in the day, I would say probably, what, like three, four years ago at this point, I had done a podcast on the side of Astro Radio Z called the podcast at Orgy Castle, where my friend Paula and I discussed pornos and exploitation, like nudie cutie movies and and just pure Euro sleaze and stuff like that. And Astro Radio Z stopped doing a lot of that kind of content a while back because I got sick and tired of doing the we were doing the porn parody episodes, if you all remember correctly, where I was taking pornos that were parodies of other movies and cutting out the porn and just watching those for the stories. And it just got to the point where even those those were some of our most popular episodes I didn't want Astro Radio Z to be focused on that kind of content, not because I find it shameful or I, I, I'm i not into that kind of thing. Obviously, I did a podcast called Podcast at Orchard Castle I just talked about that was entirely dedicated to that. There are 30 episodes of that podcast if you want to go check out I Astro Radio Z and, and myself, I'm going to speak for myself, are uh, uh, very sex positive. I have no problems with that kind of content whatsoever. I just didn't want to sit and watch porno constantly for fucking Astro Radio Z. That's not why I started this podcast. I mean, I didn't start this personally. My friend Corey J. Udler is the one who started Astro Radio Z. But when I took it over and I started doing this uh, myself and changed it to what it is today, uh, my intent wasn't to just sit and talk about porno movies, not because I don't like them, um, but because I just uh, this show is primarily about the stuff that I enjoy and I grew up you kind of watching like this podcast to me. If I'm going to sit and have like a, a, a confessional testimonial here for a second, this podcast is kind of like. What would I have liked to listen to when I was growing up seeking knowledge 
or trying to find out about cool shit that I was into. If 15-year-old Derek had stumbled upon Astro Radio Z, what would he have loved to have heard in that show? That is always, always has been and always will be how I put this show together in the direction of this show. Now, obviously, as a 45-year-old man, my tastes have changed. (laughs) And my perspective has changed per what I'm into and what I like and the content I want to put out there. But that 15-year-old Derek is always informing me as to what I want Astro Radio Z to be. Because I think as as young kids and as people that are impressionable and just getting into these kind of movies and maybe into metal like I I was and I still am, um, always searching and seeking out uh, new things, I want to give them uh, the space to be accepting and open to everything. And so I I wanted to come back eventually to some more uh, smutty films because I do love smut. (laughs) Take that. Take that and drop it and put it wherever the fuck you want. I like smut. I watch smut. Uh, There's nothing shameful about watching smut. If you're out there and you feel like it's shameful or degrading or beneath you, to watch smut content, then Astro Radio Z might not be the show for you. I am very open-minded about this kind of content. Even though I had expressed that I didn't want Astro Radio Z to exclusively become a, a smut podcast. That's why Podcast at Orgy Castle happened, because I wanted that to just be over there for the people that are exclusively into that content. But Astro Radio Z is kind of like a a big mixing pot, right? As exploitation fans and as film fans, um, we tend to like everything. We're into, you listened to the last episode where I gave you my, my top 10 movies of last year, and it was all normie shit. It wasn't just bottom of the barrel crap and it wasn't like Silk and Sabotage, which we're (laughs) about to fucking watch, which is essentially like a fucking Jim Wynorski clone. It's like Astro Radio Z is about those bottom shelf movies like our good old bud Daniel Edfield used to do here on the bottom rack. It's about those movies that nobody talks about and that I usually gravitate towards. So to come back to some smut content to get back, you know, round about this conversation to get back to this is kind of heartwarming to me because it's been such a long period of time here on Astro Radio Z since we've talked about this kind of stuff. Like what was the last time we talked about smut beyond, you know, witchcraft and the Vice Academy movies? I don't recall in in those porn parody episodes, I don't think we covered any other smut here on Astro Radio Z. So Silk and Sabotage is kind of like a coming home. And I didn't mean to say coming in that way, but I did uh, to, you know, the seedier side of Astro Radio Z. Silk and Sabotage made in 1994. By one-time director, and I'm not lying to you about this. This is literally the only movie this guy ever made. Joe Cauley. It was uh, produced and 
directed by Joe Colley, is literally, and I don't mean to diminish what this is, but it's obvious this is what it is, nothing but a softcore film. <laughs> the movie is nonstop tits and ass, nonstop sex scenes where people are just rubbing against each other, and little else. <laughs> Looking at the box, let's look at the box here. We got somebody peering in through blinds on the cover. And there's a, a lady who is uh, starting in like partially dressed. And the tagline is a film about sex drives, hard drives, and other inter-office activities. Silk and Sabotage, man. That opening little trailer bit that I put before this thing that for Cinemax couldn't have been more apt. Those of you out there that lived in the Cinemax era where late late night Cinemax was nothing but these TNA titty movies, this movie would have fit so fucking perfectly in that wheelhouse. It literally is so light on plot. It sounded like it had when I go to describe and, and read the back of the box here, the back of the box has more plot than this entire movie does when you actually watch it. The whole hour and 10 minutes of this movie, boy, it doesn't get more to the fucking point. An hour and 10 minute movie. There's barely anything more than sex scenes, women standing in front of mirrors, oogling themselves and a lot of fucking showers that pan down to tits almost constantly. That is the vast majority of Silk and Sabotage. But let's give the movie the benefit of the doubt and let's read the back of the box here <laughs> and see what the actual plot of Silk and Sabotage is. A sexy rags to riches romp, heavily laced with healthy hormones, lingerie, and boyfriends climbing into bedroom windows. While Jamie designs high-tech computer games, her two voluptuous roommates model and sell the gauziest of undergarments to make ends meet. When Jamie's newly designed program is stolen in a sophisticated con, I laugh at that a little bit, the whole group bands together in a hilarious con of their own to recover the stolen goods. Silk and Sabotage is a movie that was obviously modeled after some of Jim Wynorski's more, you know, titty-heavy movies of the 90s. This thing is so breezy and so light that it's hard to get mad at it in any capacity. It's also hard to really give a fuck about anything going on. This was obviously designed as a stroke flick and nothing more. But that brings us to one of my major points in this movie is that who is this for? If this is a stroke flick, who cares about the fluffy plot that happens in this movie, even though I said there isn't much of one? No dudes give a, if this is a stroke flick, no dudes give a fuck. And if this is a movie for that has a plot and, and it seems to be, you know, directed in, in trying to show these women as, you know, entrepreneurs and individualists and feminists that uh, it's directed so women will watch it. Why would they want to sit and watch unless they are uh, lesbian? Why would they want to sit and watch extended sequences of breasts being washed in showers? 
<laughs> every last person I've ever talked to that has seen some of these Wynorski heavy movies where it's just women taking soapy showers and rubbing their boobs. They've all been like, uh, boobs aren't that dirty. Why, why are we watching this? <laughs> so I ask, what is it? Who is this movie for? <laughs> Again, as we had said in like the, the witchcraft episodes, this is acceptable porn. This is one of those tapes where if you would have went into the video store back in the day and saw this thing, you could take this because it is essentially a stroke flick. You could take this, this to the counter and not feel bad about it because it's not a porno. You didn't go to that back room with the beads that cover the door and you go in and out of it and it announces to everyone that, you know what, I'm a fucking pervert and I'm going in the back and getting some fucking porn. This is that acceptable porn where you can get it on the regular shelves and bring it up to the counter and only you and that cashier know that you're about to rub one out and mix a batch. So <laughs> Silk and Sabotage, uh, general thoughts, man, it's acceptable. It is what it is. I literally this thing flew by so quickly because there's not much to it that uh, if you were to stumble on this on late night TV, duh, this is a no brainer. You keep this fucking thing on. The women are all extremely beautiful. The dudes are all model worthy, good looking with nice butts. And yes, I'm going to say that as a bisexual male. Yes, I want to see equal opportunity nudity in these movies. <laughs> so so if you're looking, you're just going into this thing, just looking for sexy people doing sexy shit and then mildly have a few brain cells get rubbed together with a plot. Silk and Sabotage does the fucking job. Let's get into uh, the good, the bads, and the what the fucks of this. This movie has nudity immediately and lots of it. It starts off with a shower sequence. <laughs> what a shocker, right? You would have never figured this movie. <laughs> starts off with a soapy, titty-heavy shower sequence, but it does. And it tells us right off the bat what this thing is going to be. There is a nonstop titties, lingerie parties. Uh, all the people are model worthy throughout this entire movie. There's constant fucking lots of looking at themselves naked in the mirror, etc. This is like a, a, your typical 80s or 90s TNA, you know, tit flick. There are creeps looking in windows at pajama parties. Uh, and this is a straight up softcore flick. So this isn't even just like your your casual TNA movie. Like, remember when I was talking a few episodes back about Shannon Tweed and a lot of the like the the, you know, erotic thrillers that she was in on Skinamax late at night. This is a step beyond that. This obviously isn't just like a sexy thriller or a sexy comedy. This is a softcore flick. There are whole swaths and sequences of this movie that are just people simulating sex. So this, I mean, on the side of this thing, it says erotic comedy. There's really nothing funny about this movie. <laughs> and I'm not trying to get into the bad. It's it just has a really light tone to it. So. I guess it's, you know, unoffensive in, in that way. And maybe 
some of it could be construed as comedy, but it's, there's nothing really funny about this thing at all. And this is this is just a softcore flick. Uh, there's a song during one of the sex scenes where the lyrics are so much funkies going on, but because it's played over top of fucking, it sounds like so much fucking's going on. <laughs> and I had to sit in like, wait a second. I'm like, is this an 80s song that actually has someone saying there's a lot of fucking going on in it? No, I totally misheard that. <laughs> The two of the the roommates uh, boyfriends are just these creepo dudes that come by every night and and tell me, uh, ladies, would you be okay with your boyfriends only ever coming over at night with a six pack of beer and a pizza? And would you give it up every single time that happened? Because that's what happens in this movie. These dudes stop by every night with a six pack of beer and a pizza and then get laid every single night. That's their whole contribution to this relationship. So it's fucking hilarious. And they get 11 minutes in. We already are graced to these dudes getting laid twice. So, I mean, Jesus fucking Mary and Joseph. Good for them. Get it, boys. This movie, if I'm going to give it uh, its its greatest pluses, is is that it's such a breezy watch because nothing is ever at stake, even with the scam that we were told that goes on that such a small infinitesimal part of this movie. It, it literally takes like maybe 20, 30 minutes of the whole runtime is this scam of an hour and 10 minute movie. I would say 20 minutes of this movie is centered on that scam that. It just like, you know, everything's going to work out in the end and there's nothing at stake. So your brain get, can totally check out and just enjoy the view. That's all this is. And you know me, I love the greatest plus of any movie is if it's like an hour, hour and 10 minutes long. Bingo. You got me. So thank you, Silk and Sabotage, for not fucking overstaying your welcome. Let's get to the bad of this movie. The first bad I have, and it's not the movie's fault. You come across this when you're watching VHS every once in a while. And uh, my tape had such bad like tape noise going and It was like a bad static noise through the entire thing that it made some of the dialogue hard to, to discern because some of the people are a little soft spoken. It's not the movie's fault. It's just, you know what, man? You want to watch VHS every once in a while, you're just going to get shitty sound because it's a tape. It's a tape running over a couple heads that and eventually the thing's just going to wear out. And of course, this tape is uh, almost 30 years old at this point. So th these tapes aren't going to hold up forever. And that was very disappointing. The acting is as good in this movie as you'd figure it would be for a softcore flick. That's not to diminish you know, sex workers in in uh, the visual medium that that they're all horrible actors because it's not true. We all know that's not true, but a vast majority of and we've established this on my podcast, Worst Movies Ever. And we've also established this here on Astro Radio Z is that when you focus your actors on looking good as opposed to them actually delivering emotional resonance or being good actors, the quality is obviously going to go down. 
And because this movie is more focused on those women being extremely beautiful and the men being extremely handsome, more than them actually portraying characters that we believe the acting is, is exactly what you would figure for this kind of movie. There are some weird editing ticks from time to time, but who really gives a fuck? I mean, it's a mild bad. The voiceover work in this movie is just fucking atrocious. And this is nitpicky bullshit. Nobody cares about this shit when it comes to these kind of movies, right? Nobody gives a shit. If you're in the middle of fucking stroking your cock and you're seeing or flicking the bean or whatever the fuck you're doing watching this goddamn gimmick, the last thing you care about if there's a jump cut in the fucking edit. <laughs> so this is real TikTok-y fucking bullshit, right? And we had already talked about, like, I don't really know who this movie's for. It's it just like, you know, the, the movie's extremely male gazy as the primary focus is the female naked body. But the story feels more along the lines of like some female fantasy. So it's really hard to figure out who this was marketed towards. Maybe it was marketed towards both in an attempt to, like, pull everybody in. I don't know. 20 minutes in. This movie, you immediately know this movie's just not funny at all. And, and that whole misnomer of like the erotic comedy gets thrown out the window. Half of this movie is stock music without talking. It was obvious this movie was made as cheaply as possible because there is probably, I would say, a good 15 minutes of this movie where there's no Nat sound. And it's just cheesy stock music with just showing things happen. Like there are sequences and, and I'm not so sure I would even elevate it to a montage where it's just like there is no dialogue and you see people talking with this music played over top of it. And you just get the point that, oh, this interaction is happening. So that's a lot of what happens in this movie. Uh, comedy. If, if we were to talk about, you know, the comedy again, and this movie thinks comedy is cheesy horn music. That's what we get for comedy here is sound effects real bad. And uh, last but not least, our lead good guy that ultimately wins the lady in the end, Michael, his idea of talking to women is to constantly put his hand on their inner thigh. Like there are like every sequence where this guy is talking to someone, he's constantly putting his hand on the women's inner thigh. Doesn't matter who they are. That's how he connects with people. So I, I think in 2023, that wouldn't fly, especially as a boss. Uh, let's get to the what the fucks. Um, there's a self lotion scene in this movie with our lead actress, and it's played to sexy sax music, as so many of the scenes in this movie are to bad stock music. And there's no dialogue in this whole sequence as she does like this internal photo shoot where she's look she's lotioning herself up and then dancing in front of a fucking mirror and she's imagining that she's on this photo shoot and there's like weird trailing effects with her motions and and she's eventually going through multiple outfits to get ready for this guy uh that she's going to go out on a date with until she's naked and then trail it, it is fucking ridiculous ridiculous and it just like what what is this later she's trying to grill burgers for this date that she has because they end up just going back to her place to eat and uh she starts up the grill 
puts on a bunch of fucking lighter fluid and there's this huge open flame coming off the fucking grill that she doesn't try and like diminish and she just walks away from the grill. What the fuck? <laughs> she doesn't give a fuck if the place is going to burn down. Fuck it. <laughs> I got fucking to do. <laughs> and last but not least, the, 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 the boyfriends that I told you about that show up with the beer and the fucking pizza. Uh, we end up finding out they cheat on uh, the two roommates and they show up at night while our lead is, you know, getting it on with her secret boyfriend and they are sneaking around the house and they eat the, the, the grilled leftovers that's out by the pool. And they just start eating and drinking their, their leftover wine and all their food and spy on our lead getting railed. And then they, in a comedic tone, rate the fucking outside at the table that they just ate all the scraps at kind of like Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> what the fuck was that? Like these, everything in this movie just makes no sense. And it, it just comes across as like, uh, what do you think we should do here? Oh, let's do this. Okay. And that's fucking Silicon Sabotage. The most fluffiest of fluff softcore flicks. Obviously, this thing probably did well on fucking Cinemax. You could toss it in and it's totally unoffensive. Um, the women and men are beautiful. And it's uh, a breezy hour and 10 minutes out of your life. So I doubt any of you will seek this out. I doubt any of you will uh, stumble across this on TV. I'm sure this has been relegated to absolute fucking cinematic um, oblivion and obscurity. But I got to tell you. I'm glad I watched it. It didn't bother me whatsoever. So I guess that's a recommend. Silk and Sabotage, a movie where <laughs> our lead actress, this beautiful model that could barely spit out her dialogue, we're supposed to believe that she programs video games in a scene that's totally thrown away is that all of a sudden we find out halfway through this movie that she has three or four partially made video games that she's been making and is trying to get venture capital in order to <laughs> In order to finish the games that she programs herself. I mean, okay. So <laughs> that's it. It's it's a ridiculous farce and it's fun. And if you like beautiful people getting naked and rubbing each other, perfectly acceptable. So that's it. That's our VHS uh, excursion this episode on Astro Radio Z. And when we come back, we'll talk about the next two movies we're going to be talking about next episode. And uh, I'm going to talk about some stuff that I've been watching in the meantime. So stick around. This is Astro Radio Z and we love talking about movies with you. If you are looking for more episodes and want to become part of the show, go to patreon.com forward slash. Astro Radio Z and become a monthly subscriber to have access to 100 plus bonus episodes of content. Jump in. Make Astro Radio Z yours and become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com forward slash Astro Radio Z. So it, I took a few weeks off here from the podcast, as you obviously can see, uh, because 
for the most part, I have been down a rabbit hole with playing video games again. Every once in a while, I get the itch. I've always been a gamer since I was young. I get an itch to sit and play video games, and I become slightly obsessed with them when I do. Uh, It's a problem, and (laughs) I try not to indulge this too often because, man, can I go down a rabbit hole, and it will definitely take time away from things like Astro Radio Z because all I want to do is play video games. And the games that I had played, just to kind of let you know, if you guys are gamers out there, uh, some things that I had been uh, obsessed with the last month or last, what's it been like three weeks since the last episode of this? I finally got down because I was so anxious to watch this new uh, HBO series of The Last of Us. I finally played the first uh, game of Last of Us. And man, was that fucking amazing. If you guys haven't played it, it is absolutely one of the best things I've ever played in my entire life. The story for being a video game. And this is I know this is old news to the vast majority of you. This isn't like any news. (laughs) This is just like, oh, of course, Derek, you know, this this thing that's been out since 2014. Yeah, we know. That's why there's a TV show out now. But really, I have never played a game in which the story like hit me the way that The Last of Us did so fucking good. And I cranked that thing out in like three days. But then after that, and you're like three days. Well, that doesn't account for the last three weeks. Then I started playing Ghost of Tsushima, you know, the fucking open world samurai game that takes place in like feudal Japan. Fucking kiss your life goodbye if you decide to fucking play this gimmick. Uh, Holy shit. Mixed like one of my favorite games of all time is Red Dead Redemption 2, which is essentially for those of you out there that aren't gamers is like uh, the old west, like a spaghetti western open world game. And man, was I obsessed when there are Red Dead uh, games out. That's all I do, because I fucking, you know, I love spaghetti Westerns. And it's just like, oh, I get to fucking like be in a spaghetti Western. Sign me the fuck up. The only thing that would change that it'd be equal would be samurai films. And Jesus Christ, Ghost of Tsushima is basically Red Dead in fucking feudal Japan as a samurai. And it's badass. And I've been like nonstop fucking playing that thing for weeks now. I'm not even like halfway through it. And I'm already like 45 hours into it. I need to fucking stop. (laughs) But other than that, I've watched a few things. Obviously, I've been watching uh, The Last of Us, which so far is pretty fucking decent. Uh, I watched the new House Party movie. You guys were aware that they remade House Party, right? Oh, man, I don't know what to tell you. Like... I wasn't too keen on like even seeing this thing off the bat because the trailers look like trash. Right. And I'm a huge fan of the original house party. I still watch it all the time. I put it, I pop it on at least once a year. I'm sure at least just because it's maybe it's a nostalgia thing for me. I grew up and it was on cable a lot. And then I've, you know, subsequently bought it. When it's come out and I pop it in every once in a while, it just maybe reminds me of a time that makes me happy and it still makes me laugh. I still enjoy all the fucking music that's in that goddamn thing. Eat my type of hype. 
get the fuck out of here. So amazing. But uh, this new house party, uh, to say that it's not that great is an understatement. I mean, it's okay. If you're looking for something that's mildly funny, it's not really even super funny. And you want to like clean the house and put it on in the background. It's perfectly okay. There's one sequence that is so absurd and so out of left field in this movie. And I don't want to ruin it for you if you're going to watch it, that it makes the entire movie worthwhile. It's like very out of place in this thing. But it's fucking like literally the only hilarious thing in the entire movie. So I, I I don't know. I can't really recommend it. If you stumble across it and are interested, go ahead and watch it. It's not the worst thing that I've seen, but it's definitely not the original. Can play show up in it, but don't say a fucking word. Ah, so that's that's what I've been doing lately, folks. And that's why it's taken a few weeks. I've been obsessed with video games and I watched the fucking new house party movie. That's it. So uh, next episode of fucking uh, Astro Radio Z is going to be an odd one as this one was because the two movies I picked out are sequels in franchises we have not covered here. I know longtime listener Mikey K keeps wanting me to get back to franchise episodes on Astro Radio Z. And I'm not discounting that that might happen at some point. But right now, I hate organizing episodes with a huge group of people the way I used to because it is fucking uh, like it's infuriating not in a way that I'm mad at other people but just like my patience really is thin for trying to schedule around my schedule because my schedule is insane and if people can't make it to mine I and I want them on an episode I just keep pushing it off and eventually we'll just never record an episode because we can never line up We're adults. We got fucking shit going on. We can't expect that everyone's just going to be able to do whatever we want whenever we want them to. That's just not reality. So that's why Astro Radio Z is the way it is, because I just schedule me. And the next episode is going to be a slight weird pseudo franchise episode. Not really, but it's two sequels to movies that we haven't covered here on uh, Astro Radio Z before. The Dean Koontz sequel to watchers watchers 2 starring mark singer i'm really anxious to watch that one i i remember seeing part one and uh i think it was okay but never watched the sequel so we're gonna watch watchers 2 and then project shadow chaser 3000 which i believe say looking at the back of the box is shadow chase project shadow chaser part three so we have that to look forward to. And man, does Project Shadow Chaser look like a fucking trash heap? And I can't wait to watch this thing. So that's what we got here on Astro Radio Z. Again, thank you for sticking around. Thank you for following. Thank you for listening. If you're a big fan of Astro Radio Z and you want to reach out to me, email me at Astro Radio Z podcast at gmail.com and let me know. Do you have some recommended movies you would like me to cover here on Astro Radio Z? shoot them my way i'm all ears doesn't mean i'm gonna i'm gonna actually do them but hey i'm always up for hearing recommendations or thoughts go over to itunes or anything and give us a review i don't care how many stars how little stars i don't give a fuck let us know what you think of astro radio z if you want more astro radio z go over to patreon.com forward slash astro radio z and join us 
for the low price of three bucks a month, you can get my other podcast, Worst Movies Ever, there, where all of my Patreon subscribers can put what they feel are the worst movies they've ever seen on a list that we have generated. And then one by one, each episode, we will sit and talk through these and determine, are they really the worst movies ever? Hint, most of them really aren't. There are some, though. Last episode, I definitely just put another movie on the list, and I'm not going to say what it is. Go over to Patreon.com and then uh, find out and give us a listen. But anyways, until then, I hope you guys are doing well, and we'll chat soon. Take care. Astro Radio Z is written, produced, edited, and performed by Derek Carey. Executive produced by Shannon Smith and Vaughn Comier. The music you had listened to here on Astro Radio Z this episode, which I strongly urge you all to please go check out and purchase, is Obituary, Torn Apart, and Loathe, Is It Really You?, Good shit, man.